Colette, it's Jeff. Colette, 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 it's Jeff. Colette, 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 it's Jeff. You've run away, Colette. Colette, Colette, it's Jeff. You've gone away, Colette. Where are you? I can't see you. Now I can see you. It's Jeff. Hello. I can't hear you yet. Oh, you can't hear me? I can hear you. Can you, can you hear me? I can. And I can hear you. You can? I can. For some reason, my Zoom is set up that if my headphones aren't plugged in, it doesn't just play through my speakers. Colette, it's Jeff. Hello, Jeff. It's Jeff. Hello, Jeff. How Colette. are you? Hello. Stop it, Jeff. Jeff, stop it. You know why? Jeff, you got to stop it, buddy. It's the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. It's 264 episodes. Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. Comics Place, Bellingham, Washington. It's a comic podcast. We love to talk about comics. We talk about comics. We read a bunch of comics. We talk about them. We engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comings and goings of our lives. The shop that we work at, Colette's weird rubber face and Roman's enormous pectorals. Um that's a thing that we do. That's just, that's not who we are. And that's not what we stand for. That's what we do. What we do is pick a comic, eat a comic and rate a comic. What we are, what we stand for is respect for women. As always, I am Jeff. I'm Colette. I'm Roman. I'm feeling particularly empowered today because we don't have that bundle of pancakes Django here. We don't have that short stack of buttered pancakes here that we call Django. And he was the one who was like, I got this super fun idea. We should like divide it into a bunch of seasons and have like a bunch of mini seasons and have them all be like different shows. And, um, you know, at some point my life became making sure what he wants to do is what happens. Uh, but he's not here right now. So fuck that. Let's start a new podcast, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no names, no gimmicks. Comics Place presents <laughs> uh, thoughts on comics. Comics Place presents comic thoughts. No, Comics Place presents hanging out with comics <laughs> jeff <laughs> comics place presents jeff presents hanging out with comics with his friends colette and roman what we talk comics season you know what fuck it season four legacy numbering episode 264 comics place presents episode 264 <laughs> hanging out with comics that's what it is. That's what we're doing here. And on that note, I've got an email from the William Elmer, the most Williamest of all Elmers, William Elmer. Dearest lass and bros, two weeks in a row with Colette. How lucky we all are. <laughs> My question of the week may or may not be inspired by a true story. So let's say hypothetically, you find yourself with way less time than usual as of late and can only read three to five comics a week at most. What comics are you reading weekly that you would drop? And which ongoing three comic series would each of you put in your absolute must-read piles right now? Lots of love, Will. Read the PS after my question. PS, Roman Buckshot, go! You've got oh 90 my God. seconds. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, but I actually wasn't ready for it, so I have to time, I have to get the timer oh, ready because okay. that was really, really good. Do, but you're, do, you're do, only within do. a couple seconds. Like, you go! 
Ah, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Death, number six. I just want to mention this because the very first story in it was hilarious because um, it's people write in death itself as their writing candidate to be president. And so many people do it that death gets elected president and for some reason like sticks with that and becomes president of the United States and keeps on doing horrible, horrible things. But people are just like, yeah, whatever, we accept it until the point until death is just so fed up with it and wants to get out of it, but can't because people keep on reelecting death. It was great. Um, (laughs) I read this comic called Number One, which was issue number one uh, about being a comic shop owner. And that had a lot of good insights. It was pretty it was pretty cool. People are interested in getting a little glimpse of our lives. Check this comic out. It, It was it's not it's not brilliant, but it's very accurate in a lot of ways. Um, I need another buckshot. Uh, DC versus vampires. Number six. Ah, uh, that was, that's always a great series, but this particular issue, I won't spoil it, but it has a great big reveal that was shocking. And cause it's one of my favorite DC characters. And it's like, Oh no. Um, oh no. Yeah. And it was very cool. Um, I got more buckshot time. Uh, righteous, nine seconds. A righteous thirst for vengeance. Number six was really awesome. Beautiful art. Fantastic storytelling. The end. Dude, Django has done a lot of good things in this life and a lot of bad things in this life. But the best thing that I think he's ever done was made buckshots be a thing that are out of the blue, no warning, almost (laughs) like punishments to people. And the fact that Will Elmer just did that in his email was awesome. So great job, Will Elmer. Great job, Roman. Do you want to do scores before we answer this question? Scores. Uh, Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe's, I gave an eight. Number one, number one, I gave an 8.5. And Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, I gave a nine. Ooh, nice. Oh, and DC versus Vampires, I gave a 8.5. Those are good scores. Um, So Will says, hypothetically, you're way busier. You can only read three to five comics a week at most. What comics you're reading weekly that would draw you would drop and which ongoing three comics would you make sure you keep up with? I can relate to that feeling. Um, It's weird when you are so busy, you don't have time to read comics, but your job is literally reading comics. Um, It's a weird it's a weird spot to be in. I would say, you know, it almost not time being or sorry. Yeah, I mean, so time being the big restraint and money being the two big restraints, right? Those are the two things that would cause somebody to drop books or me mm-hmm. to be dropping books. And um, I would say ones that I have to be reading, I, I, I almost hate to say it, but like Donny Kate's books are way up there for me because they seem deeply entrenched in the continuity of their universe, but also like they offer the most room for things to change drastically. So I would say right now that like Hulk is probably in there. Um, and I would say Thor is probably in there, but then also Tom King books are in there and Tom Taylor. Uh, if I had to shrink it down to five books, it would probably be Hulk, Thor, Nightwing and Human Target and whatever other thing Tom King is doing at any given point. You know, it, it's, it's probably my five. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of books I read that I could drop. I mean, I, even as it is, like most of my reading is like experimental reading of number ones and stuff to be informed with folks. What, what about you, Colette? You read a, you know, a lot of different things, but you're also probably pretty. At, I think one thing that a comic shop job makes anyone pretty at peace with is like not reading a book because they don't have the time or energy to. Yeah. And I find that I end up actually not reading the stuff I'm extra or I'm more into because yeah. I'm trying to get caught up on all the number ones are things that I need to be able to tell people I about. Totally and I relate to that. definitely do not, I do not have enough time to be reading as much as I need to at, at any given time. 
Um, I mean, I am a big, big fan of or a founding member of the Tom Tom Club mm. is what I like to think of it Tom whenever Tom. there's more than one uh, Tom King or Tom Taylor book out in a week. Um, yeah, so probably Nightwing, uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, um, Human Target. God, what else am I loving right now? I'm having Are you this... liking Superman, Son of Kal-El a lot? Yeah, I really like I really like that book. It makes me really happy every time I read it. It's I think it's my least favorite of his output, but I it's yeah. not on the chopping block, but it's just weird to be able to, in my mind, to kind of point to one I like the least. Yeah, I think part of it for me is that I've never had much interest in a Superman yeah. story and I'm forever enjoying the novelty of liking it. Right. If that right. makes sense. No, and, it totally does. And it, it's just, I, I, I think the thing that I have trouble relating to Superman about, which I respect about Superman, but is the the uh, the altruistic like paragon mm-hmm. type character and and John, the way that he's got John learning to be or learning how to practice being what it is to be the good person that he inherently yeah. is and the grander stage of it is I, I really like reading. He's just a sweet character. Yeah. And, um, can and there's you, something else that I love, but I can't remember it right now. For can you imagine reason. needing to answer this question as Roman, who reads, <laughs> reads almost everything. every single comic that comes out, whether he has time or not, he somehow just finds a way to do it. Roman, uh, what are what what would be your top, like, if you could only narrow it down to five, can you even possibly do that? <laughs> um, a lot of overlap with one of the ones you said, Thor, Human Target, um, Nightwing, I'd want to keep on reading those. Uh, and I know there's other ones that I, since they're not in front of me, I can't think of what they are at the moment. Um, oh, Newburn. Sorry, oh, yeah, I interrupted. Yeah. Chip Cockburn. Yep, definitely. I want to keep that one. There's plenty I could drop that wouldn't matter. Like, Yeah, well, uh, if you only get to keep five, you'd be dropping 130. <laughs> <laughs> Weekly. Yeah. You know, the new She-Hulk series is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. It's, yeah, it is a tough question. I really like it. It's hard to think about. I mean, it's even harder to think about because we're in this like super privileged position where we like, oh, I'm falling behind <laughs> on the stuff that I like because I'm reading so many number ones like that, mm-hmm. the, which is essentially my, my exact complaint. And the heart of that is like, I'm reading so many comic books for money <laughs> that I don't get to read the ones that I want to. Um, so. But so much of why we do that is so that the people that can only afford to get five. Right. At any given time can ask us what's worth it and what isn't. And, and I think that a strength of our store and something I always try to do is like, I genuinely, and even in response to Will's question, like for a long time, I encourage people to not read books that they don't love. Like, mm-hmm. I think that yeah. nothing sullies your relationship with comics as a whole more than feeling like you need to keep reading something that you're not enjoying and therefore spending money on it. And, and it's one of the reasons I like to just try and dip into random issues of series on the podcast. Cause I like to prove that you can not read stuff for a while and then get back in and dig it and, you know, you go back if you really like it, but yeah, just, yeah, gosh, it's so crazy how much humans like to turn a thing that we love into a chore, right? <laughs> oh, I thought of another one that I wouldn't want to give up. What was that? Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my God. Did you read yeah. this week's? I read it in the annual. I'm excited to talk to you about those. Uh, we're going to talk about a variety of books this week on the old podcast. We're going to talk about Hulk Grand Design by Jim Rugg, number one. We are also going to talk about Batman Beyond the White Knight, number one. We're going to talk about a couple different X-Men books. Um, 
It is uh, Immortal X-Men and Unlimited X-Men. And we are also going to talk about Astro City. That was then number one. And who knows? Each person might have their minute and a half long buckshot show up at any given time in this podcast. Because listen, we Uh. all love it. We all love to love it. And we all love to love me, baby. Um, And I'm sorry I did that. We're going to talk a little bit right now about... (laughs) Jim Rugg, erotic. Um, Jim Rugg's Hulk Grand Design Monster. This is a two-part miniseries. Uh, the next Rah. one is called Madness. Raw. This follows up on uh, Hulk Have Comic. <laughs> Hulk Have Comic. Ed Piscor's X Men Grand Design, which was followed up by Tom Scioli's Fantastic Four Grand Design, and now we are getting Jim Rugg's Hulk Grand Design. That is the trio of cartoonist kayfabe people. It's the three people who are always on that or at least mostly on it, it's mostly Jim and Ed. This is, of those three people, the artist and creator who I like the most as a person and care the least about their comic art. And I mean that with all the love in the world because I genuinely like him the most, but his art is, you know, Piscor is so, nothing looks like Piscor and nothing looks like Shioli. Like both of them are like auteurs really bringing in a, a new look to their comics whereas jim rugg i think is fantastic um but i do think his stuff doesn't stand out in the like a, an island in the ocean of comic creativity like the other twos do so i'm very curious what the two of your thoughts were on this book and i'm specifically interested in roman's thoughts just because he loves the hulk so ding dang much not that i don't love colette because i do and it was her birthday and i also want to give oh. a big birthday <laughs> shout out because the day that this podcast should be going up should be one ryan russell's birthday and oh. we love ryan russell so uh happy birthday, happy birthday. Ryan. if you listen to this on that day know that we love you and if you listen to it days after know that we love we love you even still uh roman what do you think of whole grand design it good did you like good <laughs> like like roman like good hulk yes. yeah and what what this good hulk um Yes, yes, it am. Okay, so this Wait, am that's more Hulk. that's more bizarro speak, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> yeah, what did, what did you think about this? You've read all Hulk comics, man. You, you know, I I can't. I feel like I can't have an unbiased opinion and not uh, on this just because reading it. Yeah, it brought back all these memories of the first time I read reprints of a lot of these stories it's referring to, and this. Uh, graphic novel collection that came out, I don't know, 1978 or something that repeat that reprinted all this early Hulk stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at this, I was like, Oh, I remember that one. Oh, I remember that one. Oh, I guess my only complaint would be, I didn't know it was only going to be two issues. So that explains why there's something he refers to some things that he refers to that he kind of just mentions it and then moves on. And I'm like, but there's a whole lot more to that story. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if some of my problem with this is maybe that it's only two issues. So the amount of brevity there, like the mm-hmm. X-Men stuff, the Piscor one, yeah. you know, it was like two issues per paperback and there was three paperbacks. So it was like six oversized issues. It was three times as long yeah. as this. And there is a, maybe a lot more like tangential story to go into it. But this one really moved quick. Colette, sorry, mm-hmm. were you just going to say something? I was going to say the Fantastic Four one too is I think it was only two issues also but the five billion panels per page mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. still were able to fit in a whole lot more story and i mm. this one felt just a little too cliff's notesy or just the like wikipedia page this happened and this happened and this set or not even wicked it like just 
check boxes kind of a thing that I totally I agree. Not, I totally agree with you. Not having the history with Hulk, it's like, all right, I guess I know names now that are important and kind of really briefly, but it didn't quite have the narrative that I would have hoped. Like I don't need yeah. it to have a full on narrative, but just a little more emotional connective tissue throughout it would have been nice that's a really good point because the x-men one there was a narrative device like the watchman was telling this story or something and this one is really like you're getting in and skimming it um i do love that it's like it looks like a kid's scrapbook honoring the history of hmm. hulk and when you kind of read it in that way it makes sense that it's very like kind of jumpy around but um i would say that I, th- I think of the three grand design books, this one was the most interestingly put together because mm-hmm. the other two, while they did have a narrative framing device, it was just straight doing what it's doing. And this one did have like newspaper clippings and like sticker pages and all these like very fun things that made it feel really interactive. But all of that is also for me coming from a spot of like, I don't love the Hulk and I've never read a ton of Hulk stuff. And 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 so like it was all kind of new and quick to me but i was i kept thinking about roman while i was reading it and how he probably is really enjoying this because so much of it is like a reminder of these wonderful stories but to me i was like okay the leader and now we're tiny and we're a fly and like okay all these like it, it was it was just kind of crazy in that regard it's almost like when you learn about something in history class or something, and then you go with your textbook to your grandpa and you're like, tell me about this thing <laughs> yeah. in here. Like, I want to sit down with yes. Roman with this and be like, so tell me more about this part. Or like, you know, you watch the Ken Burns documentary after the two paragraphs that are in the, the book and you're like, yeah. oh, wow, it was way different than this. But but Roman, like, mm-hmm. you know, did you love it? Because you're one of your favorite characters is the Hulk and and respect you and the Hulk though I do he's he's definitely a lower tier character in my mind um so I I kind of recuse myself from having strong opinions about this book Hulk destroy all tears yeah (laughs) yeah I I did but yeah that that, (laughs) the same all the points Colette brought brought up very are yeah very accurate there was so much in here that I like I'd forgotten there was so many times that the Hulk got separated even early on got separated from banner or had banner's brain or was killed or was cured and then and then had to become hulk again for some dumb reason <laughs> and there's things i was like i want i want more i want this to be explained more so other people that like jarella they mentioned jarella who yeah. was the, the love of his life of hulk's life um and it was tragic when she when he finally got reunited with her and then she was killed. And they do mention she was killed, but it is just the barest bones. Like, oh yeah, he loved her. She's dead. <laughs> I I agree. I the drill part, but also like you said, like, oh, he's not the Hulk. Now he is the Hulk. Now he is the, not the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm kind of glad I haven't read all of the Hulk comics because I'm ignorant and haven't read them. But it sounds kind of dumb sometimes. I, I just like, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry if that. I mean, yeah, the Hulk is not a dumb character, and an investment in it is not dumb. It, it, none of it is dumb. But like from the outside looking and from these cliff notes, I was like, all right, that's uh, not a plot that I would want to have read. Well, and so much of the stuff from that era when you just hear it and it's yeah, most right, base right. storyline sounds so dumb yeah, and frustrating, right. and all yeah. the nuance that made it good is, is gone. The yeah. art and the right. the weird dialogue and yeah. what were you gonna say Romy? yeah like when they mentioned and i can't remember the why of this but they mentioned the silver surfer was gonna cure yeah. the hulk 
and then the Hulk attacked him. And so the surfer just gave up. And I wanted to know, well, well, if the surfer could cure the Hulk, how come he's never done it since? <laughs> and I was like, man, the Hulk <laughs> is not very likable throughout any of this stuff. Yeah, well, I guess it's getting picked on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because I think it's a book that really kind of like, I think the Hulk is actually, frankly, kind of a divisive character. Like, I think you either really like him or you don't care about him that much for folks. And maybe that's wrong. But uh, I think, you know, for this Grand Design series... X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Hulk. I guess it kind of makes sense because he's such a founding member of the Avengers and everything, but it also is, you know, it's interesting. What I would say kind of like summatively about it is that I liked the pacing of it. Like Fantastic Four, I loved the art and look of that one, but it was so laborious to get through. I didn't want to finish it. Whereas Uh this one was paced, even like the final X-Men grand designs were like dense and laborious to, to yeah. make it through. And this one, because of the interactive nature of it and just Jim Ruggs art being a little bit more like two dimensionally cartoony, like I, I don't mean to disparage it all. Cause I like him very much, but like, you know, a little bit more like an artistic Hanna Barbera look is kind of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more uh, of an homage to that era yeah. comic strips and whatnot, as opposed to a, but it paced a- it really well. Like it, it made it easy to get through it. And these are big books. And uh, I think that we're, you know, maybe we're cheapening the idea of these grand design books at this point. We put three out and they're all like a little bit like what they are is a little bit of a scattershot. But, uh, you know, I, I hope they keep pursuing it. And I hope that they do keep having kind of auteur type artists do it. And I love the paper stock and I love the look of it. I think my real only complaint is just that like I'm not a huge Hulk fan. Um is, is my kind of summative ideas on this one. One of my um, memories that's brought up for me, there's a, there's no page. It's funny. There's an index and it says the page numbers, but there are no page numbers. Um, oh, that's funny. But the page that's opposite uh, the great, the awesome page that has the, all, all the Hulk's TV yeah, stuff. Yeah. That was, mm-hmm. Yeah. Opposite that in the corner, it shows the Hulk and Doc Sampson beating up on the leader and he's in like an octopus machine thing. That's the first issue of the Hulk that I ever read. Nice. Yeah, and I think all those like fun issues, and I think that like you you love the Hulk, right? Like you've always talked about the Hulk. Yeah. So like I, you know, I think that the mileage may vary with your relative interest in the character. But what I think is also really good about it is if you're like me and you don't know a ton about the Hulk and you don't necessarily care a ton about him, um, this is a great primer on all of that. And I think it came out at a great time on the heels of the most successful Hulk run of the last twenty years. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do wish it was longer. But yeah, I mean, it's got the very first page where it shows the gamma bomb yeah, explosion. That's mm-hmm. but and the text is is from the the opening credits of the Incredible Hulk TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Which it doesn't mention that that's what it's from. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> so nice touch. I'm going to give it an eight. I gave it a nine. Nice. Maybe a nine point five even. I'll give it an eight. It's, it's a fun package, and I do like that, you know, I like a lot about it, but I really like the interactive nature with this specific one. Fantastic Four and X-Men Grand Design didn't do that same kind of interactive nature. I think one of the great things about Jim Rugg, well, I think that maybe his literal strict art is maybe a step behind those other two guys. I think that he has a leg up in terms of how he thinks about art packages and presenting things and Mm -hmm. like Octobriana and some other things did that as well. So I, you know, a big, big, big fan of him and I really like him as a person. So uh, big, big ups to Jim Rugg. Big ups on another 
comic book series. Let's talk about Batman Beyond the White Knight. Now, Roman, I know that you hate Batman, so we'll leave you out of this. But Colette, you are a huge fan of Sean Gordon Murphy's or just Sean Murphy now's uh, work in general. But his particular Batman the White Knight series, which was Batman the White Knight, Curse of the White Knight, presents Harley Quinn. And now this one, he's been Mm -hmm. writing and drawing these. I didn't read the second one because it was like Azrael. I don't know much about Azrael. I, I feel like you were still making that book, like one of your books of the years when we talked, I think. But maybe it was just the first volume. Um, yeah, no, it was pretty high up there for me. But I think it was that I really like the universe that Murphy has yeah. created. And it's definitely a continuation of the story. It wasn't as good, especially if you compared it to the first volume. But as a continuation, I thought Curse of the White Knight was still pretty entertaining yeah. and i don't know much of anything about asriel but it was still good um i hadn't i didn't read that one but i jumped into this one and i don't feel like i was totally lost but i love batman beyond and terry mcginnis in the animated series and i really like the idea of sean murphy incorporating that comic that that story continuity mm-hmm. into his own continuity and I think that, you know, like Django doesn't love the Batman Beyond the Cartoon Show, but I think that he could dig this one yep. getting into it, even though he didn't watch that. So I, I like that it stood on its own legs that way. I'm curious, what was your thought on this, Colette, as a fan of the franchise? Um, well, I love Batman Beyond also. It's, mm-hmm. I love Terry. It was fantastic. And I just really like that this whole universe seems to be built around uh, stuff that Murphy loves within Batman it can be movies, it can be TV shows, it can be the comics. It's all just stories based out of characters and parts of the world that he loves and building a whole new world out of it. And um, uh, there's not a ton of Terry in this, but uh, you can tell there's going to be a lot more. There's actually a lot of Jason Todd, though, in um, some really cool reinterpretations of what Bruce and Jason's relationship could be about. And... um, Derek Powers shows up as probably the new villain for this, which is... And that was the know, guy from the Batman in the Animated Series. Batman from Beyond, Batman Beyond. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the big... Um, Electric Corporate baddie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Harley's kids are older and her daughter's all angsty now. Um, she had kids in the last run. That, she has twins. Um, uh, Bryce and Jackie. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's it's not groundbreaking like the first volume was but i'm still i'm i'm along for this ride wherever that's it takes a, us that's really well put that first volume was like groundbreaking there was like stuff in it that was like oh my god like this is put this in the pantheon of like dark Knight returns in terms of like well conceptualized versions of the future that i and i will like legitimize with how much i enjoyed it mm-hmm. and i think the hard part is just continuing to like all of it as much of that and not not that that is hard to do but like um when something is new it slaps you across the face and then as it continues it's easy like saga you know like saga is always great but it's easy to not talk about saga um well and what was so like groundbreaking about that one is now established and we're living in that world so it's not gonna feel new new and impressive anymore because we're in it um but it's i like I always enjoy reading something where it feels like the person is doing it genuinely out of having ideas and wanting to have fun with it. And that definitely feels to me what this universe is built upon and why he's doing it is that's a great, he had a cool idea point. and it's, it's just something he's playing with and having fun with. And because it's working, he's keeping going with it. Um, a couple of things 
I love about this, like the art in general, but I love that yeah. he always like has the shadow cast as like when Bruce is there, he's old man Bruce in prison, but there's a light on him and his shadow shows him with his horns. Like it's Batman shadow or mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, you know, like she's recovered and she's like, the, you know, the therapist person with kids now, but the shadow is Harley Quinn with, you know, the ear things on. And that just goes throughout the entire book with characters. And I, I love that mm-hmm. motif. It's almost like, on the surface enough to feel a little bit like, ah, but like, no, it's, it's perfectly done. And, and I love his vision for it. And uh, like the Joker and the Batman interaction, like the final page has a great shadow cast thing. And yeah, like well, you said, I like the Tom, the, the Jason Todd stuff. Yeah. And it, I mean, stuff like that with the shadows, it's a dark, it's a gritty story, but you can tell that it's supposed to have a little bit of um, whimsy to it or tongue in cheek. It, it shouldn't be taken too seriously. And those little shadows and things are kind of a, yeah. an homage to just this like this is an outlandish world with some dark gritty heft to it and have fun with with it while you're feeling things i'm also impressed with just like he seems to be progressing his art and exploring it in a forward direction like there's stuff going on with zipatone and you know like dot dot textures put in here mm-hmm. um quite a bit which is not a thing that he used to do but has become kind of in vogue in the last six years within kind of independent, you know, like Daniel Warren Johnson type character creators. Uh, so I, I really like the presence of it here. It's not in your face, but it's just a little mm-hmm. bit of shading added. It's, it's nice to watch the comic book community and uh, embrace that type of thing. Yeah, I love how many of the, the solid colored panels are printed to look like the ink from the opposite page kind of rubbed off yeah. onto it in spots to give it texture and mm. and depth. But it's... yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. I really liked it. I think it was my book of the week. Honestly, um, I'm going to give it a nine. I really liked it. And there were some good books this week close to that, but it was a, there was no 10 in my stack this week. So that was my highest book. And it was a nine. And I, I always love getting to talk to Colette about a, a, a Murphy book. Cause, Oh, I also mm-hmm. like, there's a couple things hidden and I love, but I loved when we see the room of the girl, I think like the Joker or sorry, Harley's daughter. Yeah, Jackie's um, room. Oh, she's so got good. the flak jackets poster, which is the name of the band that Punk Rock Jesus formed in Sean Murphy's Punk Rock Jesus book. Oh. So like, and and it's also they draw him on the left poster. So like, I love that he's kind of linking up his Punk Rock Jesus Vertigo series with this continuity. When Terry's flying through Gotham, I was reading all the different um, billboards oh, on the different yeah. buildings, and you know, some of them are are references you expect, but one of them that's really. Um, hard to read says Zorro in the back. And that one's actually all over the book. They he writes like almost oh, every yeah. scene of a city there's somewhere that has a sign that says Zorro. Yeah, I really love going back through Murphy's stuff to see the little yeah, he's the little extra details that are always added in and I I just love his his work art wise and thankfully he's a good writer too. Yeah, I know. We're so lucky. What was your score for it? I'd give it a 9 also. I'm, nine all right I'm, i dig it I'm very happy did the two of you actually before we get into the two of this we actually got another email i'm interested to check in on because i have a tendency to forget those things so let's make sure we get it represented we had a lot of people come out of the woodbrook letting us know what our prize for anyone who wrote an email was and they all get uh, an issue one of a comic that we choose thank you for helping us Ooh. remember that uh this one's from craig mueller a little craig mew mew i always call him He says, Craig, I had always read comics for entertainment value, not really appreciating the depth of the genre as an art form. The presence of Spider-Man, Superman, or Batman was the main requirement to capture my interests. Some were more visually impressive than others, but I didn't really register in my brain. Then I started going to the book club. Shameless plug. A more knowledgeable group of comic-loving folks cannot be found anywhere. 
I began to look a lot more closely. Panel layout, lettering use, general artwork, color choice, storytelling. Lately, I've been drawn more and more to black and white graphic novels, replacing color with shading to convey mood or selective color for emphasis. So what are each of your top graphic novels you would pick on pick on based solely on visual stunningness of color or lack thereof craig mueller that's a great question i have two that jump to mind always for me ironically or coincidentally rather uh one of them would be punk rock jesus by sean murphy when i met his art personally he was doing black and white stuff and punk rock jesus is a 10 issue miniseries that is all black and white and i really think it puts his art on showcase uh, really like putting his thumb in pads of ink and using his thumbprint to shade at, at the tactic that he still employs. But that was when I loved and taught me to love black and white comics. And then the other one was is Terry Moore. I love Terry Moore's art, whether it's Rachel Rising, Strangers in Paradise, Serial, uh, you know, Echo, any of those things. I think in terms of like taking in a black and white comic, he's maybe the best there is. I think it just looks incredible, like snow falling, rain falling. Uh, atmosphere human body all of it when when he does it in black and white it seems like you are able to notice how skilled he is and it doesn't feel like it's missing something which is how sometimes black and white things can feel curious how you two feel um uh for me i mean it's kind of a i don't know kind of a almost cliched answer at this point but some of the early volumes of sin city Mm. um, Mm. those are some great black and white examples atmospheric art and you know i can't remember any of his titles but eduardo riso oh is, is really good and hundred <laughs> bullets of, batman broken city batman yeah, flashpoint yeah. yeah and his black and white it's kind of reminiscent of frank miller's except it's it feels more organic and and visceral is the wrong word but yeah just more organic and, yeah you're right when real. you read the, the frank miller one it seems like an artistic experiment right like stark black and white but yeah so stuff almost is like a very organic flat shadow type thing that's, yeah that's a, yeah you can good answers you can kind of hear his rain and and mm-hmm. the spatter on the sidewalk and stuff Fred miller's is so stylized it's for anyone who hasn't read uh azarello and Rousseau's batman broken city arc it's like a five issue run that was maybe in detective comics but uh it's really good it's collected as a paperback i i love it but it's my favorite Rousseau and azarello thing i'm realizing how little I read in black and white now. But he also I, said things that are overtly great for coloring or lack thereof. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm. it's just one of those interesting things. I Because I, I love really interesting color work, but mm. I also really, really love looking at artist editions of things and actually oh, looking at the yeah. stuff before the color goes mm. on. Um, but, you know, I didn't love the story, but I um, actually think that phonogram is... Mm-hmm. If you don't get what it is about Jamie McKelvey that gets so many people excited, like looking at it, just the just the straight inks is um, I know it's mostly printed in color at this point. But looking at the black and white version of that is uh, a visually really cool book. Um, And then I really love like like Tyler Jenkins or anything that Mm. um, the color Mm. really feels like very like Hillary Jenkins. Yeah, colors are usually there very much to enhance the um, the pencil work that that's that's there, and it's not a um, kind of in your face mix of the two. It, that's a really good answer because like that ink work and that color work are both so unique. They work together in a, a way that is is very uh, not 
common. Like, they're they're mm-hmm. both unique, and they, when together, create a look that really can't be done by anybody else, I would think. Yeah, and his stuff looks so different when it's done with traditional color, too. It's still so interesting, but you can definitely see that. Like, I read um, Snowblind and uh, Neverboy about mm-hmm. the same time, and um, two very different color styles on on his his pencils and inks and it's it's really cool to see the difference of different types of color i forgot that never boy was tyler jenkins until this very moment that's very good i will also throw out uh in terms of interesting coloring work i do not know it is if if it's them doing the color work themselves or if it's you know dave stewart or somebody else but uh jh williams the third Uh, in terms of the color work that goes into their art, whether it's them or somebody else is incredible watercolor, insane stuff. They're doing a book called Echo Lands right now. And we are lucky enough to be getting a black and white version of that book at the same time as a color version. That's really cool to look at. So I, I would say um, come into the shop, Craig, uh, look at our stack of Echo Lands in the image section. You will find the black and white issues and the colored issues comparing those two things absolutely insane his artwork and paneling is off the charts to begin with but then when you're actually looking at what color does to it how he incorporates it into that and then you know what it is before that absolutely astounding so jh williams the third i would say uh a da vinci no sorry uh yeah a da vinci-esque painter um so colette you did a fantastic job of almost like segueing us right into our little x-men <gasps> corner here we don't have Django here who hates wolverine because he's the only person who has better chops than Django. so we don't have Django. thank goodness <laughs> even though i love him and i just want to climb inside his little bird beak but right now let's talk uh first about immortal x-men number one this one was written by kieran gillen and the art is by uh lucas wernick and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Unlimited X-Men, which is drawn by Declan Shalvey and written by Jonathan Hickman, which is a digital comic. But first, let's do the Immortal X-Men. Did both of you guys read this one? Yes, I did. What did you guys think of it? I liked it, it better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Roman, <laughs> what are you, where were you at? I was trying to think of some kind of a joke playing on Immortal, <laughs> but I couldn't do it. Mm. <laughs> um, I li- yeah, I liked it. I, I like at a cursory glance, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of those a lot a lot a lot of dialogue but a lot of fucking dialogue (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i really yeah there's a couple pages there it's like wow this is like chris claremont level of x-men dialogue (laughs) um but i did like it all i mean it's it's a lot of mr sinister and you know hickman's run has made me love mr sinister a character that i used to just not care about at all so so it was fun he's kind of narrating the a lot of the book yeah gillen is very hit and miss for me um especially seeing all this dialogue. I was like, Oh God, he's going to be trying to write the new Iliad or something. Um, (laughs) But, but it's got much more of like a wicked and divine kind of that glossy pop, having fun with it kind of feel, but still in, you know, in this Krakoan world. And it's sinister seems like the perfect person to have Gillen voicing through it. um, It worked a lot better than if it had been, supposed to be charles or or anybody else talking and um i'm very behind on all my x-men books including all the important stuff and this was very much a jumping on point for anybody who (laughs) is behind but it didn't i don't know how it would read for someone who's completely caught up but i i felt like i was fully brought up to speed without having just a really boring exposition as to everything that's been going on it is very heavy on the politics of the the quiet council which is, I don't Fine. know. Yeah. <laughs> if you're into <laughs> but, that. Yeah. But, you know, hope, 
Hope is going to be a bigger character. And you know, I love me some hope. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that's kind of cool for Gillen because didn't he write Generation Hope back in the day? Oh, maybe he was writing Uncanny X-Men in the Genesis, like the Regenesis era, um, which wasn't super long after that. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gillen sinister mr sinister is what inspired hickman's mr sinister and he based it off of so it's nice to have mm. him doing that because you know hickman openly talked about how his mr sinister is the gillen one on on crack oh. um yeah <laughs> i didn't know that i i really liked the uh, politics of the quiet council because that's actually one of my favorite things about <clears throat> the the current x books is just the politics and kind of stratification of krakoa so I really dug that. One of my favorite pages is when they have the some of the different candidates for to join the Quiet Council making their cases, and that those two pages are I, I love those. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't want to feel this way, you guys, but this book, like, I think I like fucking do not like Kieran Gillen's writing. Like, I think I <laughs> like I've had a very like I like some of it, I don't like some of it, but like no. I think I fucking don't like it. And it's not even like, I don't really, this doesn't work for me. Like while reading this, it made me like fundamentally annoyed. I was like, <laughs> oh, you just think you're so fucking intelligent and charming. You have to pull these fucking words down. And it's not like Hickman who like does a smart idea and makes you interested. This is just like, aren't my thoughts so interesting? And now read all of my dialogue to get into my brain. And I'm being very judgmental and, and over the top with that. But that's just kind of like an extreme of kind of what I've felt about his stuff for a long time. That's and a, I love fun. Young Avengers, but that's the only one I've read all of it. And I all just fucking all of it is like, uh, I just at some point it feels like he's just like, aren't I so clever? Look at my belly button navel gaze with me. Isn't this a special thing that I'm doing? Like, aren't you so lucky? And while I do agree that I like, I didn't dislike some of it. Like I was like, that's a lot of fucking words. And I got into it and I, I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I would, but I just like, there's a tone to it that just like puts me off. I just don't want to read it at all. I don't want to read his clever shit. He's to me, one of those writers that it like the more successful he's gotten, the worse it's been for yeah. the quality of his work. I agree. Um, and it like, I, tr I couldn't even get through his first issue of the Eternals. That was just like, pull your fucking pretentious head out of your pretentious ass and yeah. stop like thinking that you're writing the gift to humanity in this. The Iliad, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your comparison yeah. was great. Um, like I enjoyed Wicked and Divine because it was a glossy soap opera with some really good art and great art. Yeah. It like was really interesting It fun and weird and interesting at times and then really stupid at times. And I, I prefer that kind of Gillen to the I'm trying to write deep literature Gillen is far worse to me. And I was expecting that going into this with it coming yeah. off of Hickman and everything. So it was a relief. I wish that he would have even more fun with it and not be trying to be conceptually interesting and stuff. But I don't think it's poorly done. I just don't like it. Like, it's oh, it's, I, it's 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 not poorly done. Uh, and I think that even like the story hooks at the end, I really like you're, they're in really taking in those Hickman esque time travel, multiple lives of Moira. How can we manipulate? Like the ideas are sound. I just really don't particularly like reading his voice for characters. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I, I don't like his books and I bounce off of them. And this one like was a very extreme instance of that for me, but I did, you know, 
I, you don't need to qualify was, that. That's it was more interesting in certainly regards in some regards than I thought it was going to be. But like, I, I think I'm really like this was finally like going into that. I was like, I don't think I like Gillen. And I'm like, no, you know what? I feel comfortable. I just don't. I've tried all of it. I keep trying all of it. <laughs> and it just makes me feel like I'm talking to somebody I would not ever want to see again in my life. <laughs> I wish that the art was better. That's a great point. Too. Yeah. I, it like it was it had that problem of that it was almost good or almost really good in a lot of spots. So the things that were not great about it were more <laughs> glaring than if it was just kind of like solid middle road. And as someone was, who's done a lot of fashion history, God, those outfits from the twenties are horrendous. So the, the <laughs> outfits were a really interesting part because I was looking at those and I thought to myself, Clut, you have 90 seconds. Go. Uh, all right. We've got uh, Dark Ages number six was really fun. It's the end of Tom Taylor's uh, post-apocalyptic thing. And the best part about it is this whole concept that a post-apocalyptic story doesn't have to be a downer and that life could be better after uh, after we lose everything. So that was cool. Uh, Step by Bloody Step number two, I liked better than the first one. Uh, Beautiful book with no dialogue. The story's a little hard to follow at times, as often is the case with a no dialogue book, but it's really (laughs) pretty and it has a lot of emotional feels for anybody who is a parent and really tired from being a parent and loving and protecting a kid. And also reminder that it's hard being a kid and understanding why your parents so fucking hard all the time or tired all the time. Um, Zombies versus robots. Classic was fun and cool. And uh, the last little story in it wasn't as good as the parts before it, but um, God, I love Ashley Wood's art. So yes, thank you. And season of the Bruja, uh, which is very classically an Oni Press looking book, but <laughs> I liked far more than a lot of this. I mean, I like all of it's good, but it, I actually really enjoyed this story and the setup and I am going to keep reading this one. Well done, go. Colette. <laughs> well done. Do you have scores for this old ragamuffin crew of big old daddy boys? Oh gosh. Uh where was I? Dark Ages. Let's go with ooh, give it an eight. Sure. Um step by bloody step. We'll give a seven and a half. Uh zombies versus robots. Ooh, seven and a half, eight. I don't know. And uh season of the Ruha, we'll give an eight and a half. I love it. And what was your score for Immortal X-Men number one, both oh. of you sexual beings? I still had things to say about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Please continue. Yeah, I just I wanted to really oh. get into Colette's uh, off the cuff. <coughs> but please, yes, please no, 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 take was... away your, your hour of the the, the hour of the Immortal X-Men. Please do. That, that, uh, that's funny because it makes me wonder, gosh, I, I kind of like Karen Gillen. And, am I yeah. a pretentious asshole? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. It's not pretentious so much as just like um it just feels like the writing feels like he's doing the reader a favor by letting them read all of the words and not (laughs) maybe not maybe refining them but just like these ideas are so good and i'm just gonna you're so lucky to get to read all of these i'm not gonna refine them at all no i'm not gonna worry about flow or you know succinctness i'm just gonna let you be inside of my very very verbose brain it's oh, like, okay, cool, uh, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't good. mean that it's not good, but you can right. tell that he knows he thinks he and thinks or knows it's very it is. Good. Yeah. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. Um, like I love when Sinister 
like screws himself over by by voting the opposite the way he really thinks because he thinks he's got it all figured out and then destiny doesn't vote the way he was counting on and he's like oh shit can i change my vote yeah <laughs> I, I i love all the pulp i mean i like this better than which oh i still don't have them straight one of the x deaths and lives books i really liked and the other one i didn't Do you the moira one, one was deaths and lives of the one was was well. Okay. Uh, Wolverine okay. was chasing himself through time. Okay, it was death that I was yeah. like meh, and I like this this issue better than any of the issues of deaths because yeah. this one focused on the the politics. I wanted to ask you guys though, what uh, Magneto leaving the the council was that foreshadowed at all? I mean, that totally surprised me. I think it's kind of a shortcut. I think that basically they need him to be closer to a bad guy right now. Um, I, it, there was no immediately foreshadowing event, but he had that whole like trial of Magneto thing where like maybe he killed more, uh, his daughter, even though he didn't. And we all knew he didn't like he's been yeah. a good guy, quote, bad guy. But also I th- my read on it was that Magneto is one of the he is the important X-Men bad guy. And he's been morally ambiguous for like three years now. So it feels like them trying to move him into the, yeah. the corner of like, maybe he's going to, maybe there's something coming with him. that's like, you know, returning to the status quo. Well, and they uh, keep removing the characters that have the, um, the power of character to be more forceful or to actually make things change like apocalypse, apocalypse leaving Magneto is mm-hmm. kind of the next version of that type of character that has the gravitas um in that kind of way and you can create more infighting without a strong leader around yeah 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 i liked celine too at the end because she's another character i've never really cared about but i really liked her in this most clothes she's ever been ever (laughs) (laughs) i i want to say like i i i really like historically Gillen's plotting. Mm-hmm. I really like the. I love the politics of this. I just, I, it's wrapped in a way that's not very accessible to me. But I do really like his political and large scale world building. I just don't really ever. I always get lost in the weeds with his characters mm-hmm. and lack. Like I don't get the world building because of that. That's funny, Colette, that you had mentioned the 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 nineteen twenties clothes in the opening because I thought of you looking at these <laughs> and because I, mm-hmm. I I was wondering are these accurate i mean are these actual these that kind of struck me as i mean like the inspiration is accurate the execution is uh i mean irene's head on the first page either her clothes are for someone 10 times bigger than she is or her head is 10 times smaller than her body should be (laughs) (laughs) i I was wondering yeah that okay because yeah i had that idea are these actual fashions then are these kind of just like the ideas of fashions then (laughs) um do you guys have a score for that one before we go into unlimited X-Men latitude number one? Uh, I gave it an eight. Okay. I'll give it a seven, maybe a seven and a half. I gave it a seven. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was. Um, so the Hickman Declan Shalvey one was unlimited X-Men latitude. This was originally a digital comic. And what I think is interesting about this, if I understand it correctly, it was one of those ones that almost like the way that Nightwing was physically printed a couple months ago. Like where you could, it was like all one static image you could scroll through. What I understand with this one is like, it was like a scrolling digital comic. It was during the pandemic when there weren't physical mm. comics coming out and Hickman wanted to do it. But like, if you open this page immediately, this, this comic, you see these like long vertical panels. And if I understand it correctly, you could scroll down those comics, oh, those panels rather cool. than turning the pages. That what I think cool. is interesting about this above all is 
remove yourself from the story of this and the ex- like as a comic book person working in a comic book world it's interesting to see the industry try to marry mediums and i thought this was an interesting attempt to do that like this is a physical attempt to mirror an, a, an effect that was done digitally and um you know it, it echoes throughout this there's lots of scenes where you're like oh, okay cool this was supposed to scroll into this um it didn't suffer from that same problem that like batman digital comics do which is like you can just see the spot where halfway down the page it was going to be like a horizontal digital screen <laughs> so every page is just vertically two horizontally stacked things this one you know was doing something but also i would expect it to be better than that because it's declan shalvey who was fantastic as a writer and artist and then it's got hickman who's a fantastic writer but when you're looking at these like double page spreads like two pages of wolverine falling down a chute and bouncing off of it you can feel that you were supposed to scroll down this chute rather than look across pages so um it's uh it's more than anything to me is an interesting look at the comic books medium trying to push itself forward uh, in 2022. So congrats for doing that. I don't know whether it succeeded or not. Let's talk about that. I didn't know that about it. And knowing that now flipping back through it, it makes it even cooler, but I didn't feel hindered at all, or I didn't feel like it affected my read through not knowing Mm. until I read the afterward that this was originally a digital comic and that that's how it was supposed to be viewed. Um, God, I always love, I love when a really good writer that does big, in-depth, really thought-out stories does a just-for-fun mm-hmm. thing that doesn't have universal consequence or whatnot. Because they, I think they're some of my favorite stories that end up existing when someone's just experimenting doing something for fun or having mm-hmm. some experiments with it and that's what this felt like so you liked this quite a bit yeah i really did i you know it's not no i yeah i really really dug this this was a really solid entertaining good comic read like pick and, it up and, off the shelf and you're gonna enjoy yourself kind of a thing and paced well and you look at panels like this like you know the giant fire breathing swoosh panel and it's like the left panel has F-W-O-O and the right panel is O-O-S-H. Like it makes me be like, oh, I bet this would have been fun to read digitally where there was like one long vertical panel rather than two horizontal panels next to each other. Um, yeah, I liked it. I, I liked it. It was it's the type of thing that I like that Hickman does because he is a very heady writer, but he also will experiment with like not like silent issues and stuff. And I do not think it's his wheelhouse, but I like that he does it because he's outside of his wheelhouse. And I think a lot of people will spend their entire careers not going outside of their comfort zone. That being said, I don't think it was like extraordinary, but it was a great, like if you like Wolverine, this is a great one shot of Wolverine doing a mission. Mm hmm. If you don't like Modak, you're still going to enjoy this book. It's yeah. a lot of Modak. And if you like Modak, you'll like Modak because he's here. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he's like become an X-Men villain mm-hmm. nowadays because he's one of those villains that they don't use for decades. And then all of a sudden they'll start using him again. What do you think <laughs> he first appeared in, Roman? First appeared in? Yeah, like uh, I, the, he was in the whole Grand Design book, you know, like was yeah. like, what was was he originally a fantastic? That sounds like a Kirby thing. It must have been Kirby. I, I bet he first appeared in either Cap. Fantastic Four or Iron Man, mm-hmm. wherever Hydra was showing up the most back then. Mm, or not hey, Hydra. Jeff. Aim. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, you know where he might have shown up first? My buckshot. In your buckshot. Go. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got I got two bucks to talk about here. God, I've been looking forward to this all day, Colette. Ooh. Thanks for filling in. <laughs> you look good in Django's <gasps> pants. 
Um, I'm going to say Dark Age number six, Tom Taylor, Ibon Coelho. Uh, much like Colette, uh, you know, actually, I loved hearing Colette's thoughts about this because I thought that when Tom Taylor signed to an exclusive contract with DC early on in the production of this book, uh, I didn't really know what to think. I feel like this kind of petered out and didn't have a super strong ending. It was like he didn't think he was going to revisit this world that often. So he just kind of closed the book on it. But I actually really like Colette's read on the idea of like, yeah, it's an Elseworlds apocalyptic story. But maybe the apocalyptic world can be better than our world. I, I love that idea. Take technology out of our world. I love it. I do a lot of podcasts that make you think I don't necessarily think that, but like less technology, I think the better. Let's learn to farm and raise ourselves. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 93. I really liked this. Uh, I liked it pretty dang good. It was Zeb Wells. He wrote this one. It's what's going into the end of this series. And he's going to be writing the Amazing Spider-Man book going forward from this. He introduced a new character named Chasm, which is Ben Riley in a weird costume that looks like the Prowler. Uh, it's good. It's good Spider-Man. It's good Spider-Man. Why are we reading? What do you, what's a good, what is good Spider-Man to these standards? I don't know. I don't know. I wish it was always better, but it's pretty good. I want, what was the last good Spider-Man story? Um, Dark Eight, that was my dinger. Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I realized I didn't have any idea what. Uh, ringtone we use, yeah. yeah. Dark Age is <laughs> number six. I'm going to give, gosh, I wrote it down. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I wrote down a seven, but Colette's statement actually, I think made me like it a lot more 7.5 for me, which is just that like you can have a happy ending in a, in a dystopian story. And that's awesome. Amazing Spider-Man number 93. I'm going to give that one an 8.0. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it outside of that. And, uh, you know, like I'm trying to think of like, what was the last big, great Spider-Man story? The last big one was Dan Slott's around 700 when like Dr. Octopus takes over his body and all that stuff. But I feel like the last really good one. And I think this is debatable because I think a lot of people don't like it. But maybe it was was Straczynski's Spider-Man. I don't know. It was two omnibuses long. I haven't finished it. I like it so far. Well, it seemed like at least a mythos. Yeah, that was really good. I mean, I, I, I would say the last one was Dan Slott's yeah. superior Spider-Man with Doc Ock. I really like that storyline. Yeah. yeah. But I love Straczynski's too. Yeah. Spider-Man, he's a character I like more than I think than the stories he's given, sadly. Mm -hmm. Um, So then before we get out of here, you two love lumps. Or wait, did we score that X-Latitude? We did. No, Uh, we didn't score Latitude. X-Men Latitude for me was an 8.5. It was my second highest score of the week. It was an 8 for me. Mm. And Roman, I don't know that you got a chance to really summarize your ideas about that. Um, Pretty much what you guys were saying, I, I, I did know that it flowed that way but i only knew it because you or sean i heard overheard one of you say it on tuesday morning um and yeah that opening sequence i was reading that going wow yeah i could really see that this flows well i was one i was wondering how wolverine like hurls himself through space and i was like well but adding empty and doesn't help him like not explosively decompress <laughs> yeah i was bothered that he didn't have a mask and could breathe in space but i was just like he's he's holding his breath and it's fine just get, get yeah, past yeah. it yeah i didn't say anything yeah it's yeah. wolverine he's, it's fine he's doing it it was a good adventure <laughs> yeah what was your score, oh yeah uh that's right it's just me uh i'm gonna give it an a point five sure nice yes <laughs> then before we go to Astro City, I just want to get Roman's quick take on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 127. This one had the Heroes first appearance, show. Turtle Power. This one had the first comic book appearance of a character named Venus. Uh, 
And she was a live action character what? in a live action comic book series. Sorry, live action television series called Trans. Sorry, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Maybe the next mutation. Oh, I watched so- it was from 97 from 98. It was what? not. Mm-hmm. I had her action figure. I probably had sexual fantasies about her. <laughs> um, it was interesting looking. She was a her. hot turtle woman with turtle shell breasts. And Jeez. a fan yeah. weapon. Um, I know what I'm Googling after this podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll send you some images. Uh, I liked her a lot. <laughs> I did not read this issue, but I ordered a lot of it because it's her first appearance in the comic book series. So I'm just curious. Uh, how did you feel about this thing? How did you feel about the this issue? I know that we both like this series a lot. Well, damn. Now I, and I already returned my issue to the shop, and now I wish I hadn't because... I don't remember a new character showing up in it. It's the final page. <laughs> There's like a robot scene where like this guy okay. uh, shows these test tubes and he says, I call her Venus and she doesn't have arms or legs. It's almost like they're tying right. it into the idea of the Venus de Milo who didn't okay. have arms. Okay. But, but she's, uh, she was the first female turtle before Jenica. She was okay. like the actual yeah. first. And I didn't, I didn't know any of that. So her appearance on the last page didn't mean anything to me. I was like, oh, okay. It's another plot element though i think she was also on one of the variant covers maybe she was she was on the eastman variant it's, okay. it's kind of a big deal that she was put in there comic she was and i heard about that in comics pro very disliked what uh oh, wow. was the broad opinion when they introduced her um in the show and so this is kind of a a retool like you know you're jeff's and anybody who has a soul uh, didn't dislike her, but um. it, it is interesting. I wonder how much it was just sort of like, I don't like the idea of there being a new turtle um, or was it that it was poorly done? I don't know. Um, sorry. I just wanted to copy that into our chat huh. and I couldn't. That's really interesting. Cause I didn't have any of that background and, you know, I enjoyed the issue. Like I enjoy every issue of this, but that adds a new wrinkle to it that I had no idea. Cool. Yeah. She, you should. She's a light blue. She's like Leonardo, but lighter and a girl with breast turtle breasts. And I'm looking at these images right now and I'm 32 and I think I'm still kind of into turtle breasts. <laughs> like what's going on? Oh my God, this image. I tell you what, I wish that like when I was using zoom, I could just transfer this image to you guys, but I can't can screen like, share it. Okay, yeah, I, don't, right. I don't see anything. There. You're right. Okay, hey, everybody who's listening to this podcast, <laughs> it's really nice to have all of you with us, and we love you all. One thing that we want to talk about while we're doing this is that you can send emails to us, and we will put them on our show at jeff at the comics place.com. Um, sorry, I'm trying to bring Roman to this turtle woman. Um, on my pod, Roman, do you see that? Yeah, that's. That I don't. I'm sorry. That's creepy. <laughs> okay, wait a second. There's more. There's more. There's more. Just a second. No, it, it it's kind of creepy. But isn't that Jeff's taste usually, other than Sam? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I've got kind of like I like him to look a little bit weird. Um, let's look at this one. Do you see that, Roman? Yeah. Venus. Yeah. Look at that. What made her? Man, it's weird looking Jeez, at, look the at the that. way her shell goes between her legs like it's like yeah it's like those yeah. jazzer size yeah. leotards yeah. that yeah. went halfway up your way past your hips up to your like waist yeah that doesn't seem very practical 97 <laughs> to 98 i was into it back then i just keep thinking i'm into it but yeah no i'm looking at these images and like it's pretty weird man it is yeah. i mean i mean i mean uh, i'm certainly not going to discount her i'm curious where the storyline's going in the comic but i can i can make some guesses why people didn't like her yeah i mean i think that they're trying from what 
it sounded like when they did the presentation and everything. And I would assume with them bringing it in is trying to like, hey, remember that disturbing thing? We're going to do it right. (laughs) I think they did it pretty close to right. You know, she's pretty hot. She's a good looking turtle. I mean, turtles don't have mammaries. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So why does she? (laughs) You're right. Uh, that's a great segue. Uh, <laughs> Astro City, that was then, number one. Kurt Busick, Brent, Eric Anderson, Alex Ross on covers, Alex Sinclair on letters. Uh, no, sorry, Alex Sinclair on colors. Uh, Astro City, incredibly long-running series. Kurt Busick, he did it originally for Image. Then he went with uh, Jim Lee's Wildstorm. It was coming out through Vertigo after Wildstorm folded. Now it's back at Image. It's come out all over the place. Um, I guess Roman is the best one to talk about Astro City. Colette, you said this is the first time you've read an Astro City. I keep up with that. I've read the first paperbacks of the original series and I've kept up with the mini series that were coming out through Vertigo, but Roman has probably read all of it. I've, if not all of it, I've, I've read a really big chunk of it <laughs> and definitely all the original like i don't know first four or five graphic novels worth except in the issues so yeah i've always enjoyed the series i i i'm always look forward to a new issue of anything astro city um what is astro city if you can give a real 30 second pitch to our listeners astro city is kurt busiak's and brent eric anderson's marvel universe without Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or any of those guys influence it's their own. And then they own it. I think they own it mm-hmm. um, self-created. So it's just, it was originally Kurt music, just being able to basically do the Marvel universe, except if he had created it and written all the characters, everything himself. So it's like very silver age and it's yeah, very, very like Morrison esque of like, let's emphasize the good of superheroes and not focus on like the holes of that. And yeah. Yeah. Like his, made an entire universe of that. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, his version of the fantastic four is the first family. Um, and, and he has a dark, you know, he has dark characters. He has, I forget his, the confessor, the confessor. Yeah. As his, mm-hmm. basically his Batman character. Um, and that was a great storyline where mm-hmm. they first focused on him. And Going this issues. Yeah. This issue is, uh, a teenage team that's on a road trip and, you know, after a tragedy has occurred and it's just a great, as usual with Astro City, it's just some great character work and they're, you know, nearing their twenties, some of them early twenties, some of them and trying to figure out what to do next. One of them is trying to figure out if they even want to keep on being a superhero and it gives a good look, kind of brief look at this world uh, and the variety of characters and, and they even mentioned people, you know, teenage superheroes from Finland and Singapore and stuff like that. So it's, it's a pretty wide ranging world. For, for, for me, some aspect of enjoying Astro City. So I have a high degree of deference for the series. Like I love it because Kurt Busick is a classic writer. He's wrote, written some of the best superhero comics throughout there and he continues to do so. But Astro City is his passion project that he's been doing with the same artist and the same cover yeah. artist for decades. Um, so I love that labor of love, keeping the band together and then honoring the history of comic books before it. And, and that's a thing I, I love about it. And a big portion of what's fun for me of reading Astro City is kind of like drawing the comparison of what story he's telling and what aspect of comic book history he's touching on. And in this one, it's very much the Teen Titans, right? Like it's kind of just like a real world superhero version of the Teen Titans at the transitionary period of like, 
are we growing up? Do I become an adult or do I become, do I stay a superhero? And, and I liked that. I haven't read nearly as much Teen Titans as Roman. So he'd be more informed about that, but um, no, you're, yeah, you're right. For me, an enjoying thing is always trying to draw the comparison of sort of what conversation he's having. It seems like everything with Astro City is a conversation between his view of the comic book world and the way that the comic book world is. So it's this weird, like um, he, he takes a thing that's going on and then does his spin on it. And I really like that because he also, it's, it's almost like a, you know, I, I liken Kurt Busick to like Mark Wade. I put him in that category of like someone who, and then Grant Morrison, like a very heady brain who loves comic history and loves yeah. honoring their early experiences with that. And so he tries to legitimize it in the modern day. And I, I really like that. But Colette, you've never read any Astro City at all. I'm curious what your thoughts were on this. Yeah, I've always wanted to. Um, and I jumped at an opportunity to have a number one. And I, I definitely need to pick up more. This was not knowing anything about the world. This worked so well on its own. And I love that it's very clearly, you know, it's like the Teen Titans or or any or the champions or some sort of a mm-hmm. a a teen group, but there's no, you could kind of assign characters to who they're uh, a simile to, but I, like, I love black hammer and how much it's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these, this character is a fucked up version of this character. We already know, but these just seemed like characters that could have been created in DC or Marvel or anywhere. There's no heavy handed. Yeah. This is stand in for this character. Yeah. Um, And it's just kind of a lovely, trying to find yourself in a transitionary period of your life, little road trip story. And the little bit at the end with the, uh, the, the hero Samaritan. standing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That kind He's of went over my head. He's shown up in other stuff. He's like basically Superman in this world. Um, but this was just a, a lovely comic book for anyone who loves superhero lore and silver and gold it, it like just it was just nice it was really nice to read this i i really liked it um i was confused by i i wasn't sure if there was a printing error in my comic on the, I, the first, first page. page i agree and yeah till the very end when you see the kind of the spirits of the team that passed mm. overlooking the city i'm like oh those colors i think that's we're seeing through their their apparitions yeah. looking at the crew on the road trip um i wish i had understood that that's what was going on at the beginning because i kind of i didn't looking to see if there were going to be some other printing errors in my comic i didn't um, realize that's what was going on until you said that but you're totally right that that this is basically the teen titans after all of their primary people have died and they're figuring out their shit and this is sort of them looking on at them that's wow yeah, I thought that was really cool. I didn't realize it either at, at first till the last page. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that that was clever. You know, a couple of things I really liked about this was, and it's kind of a, a usual thing with Astro City, little character bits. Like during the course of this story, when the t- teenagers are up on this mesa, um, you just get some nice visual hints at first that uh, Bugle Boy and uh, the Majorette or whatever her name mm-hmm. is, um, he keeps on putting his arm around her and stuff and, and just the way she's drawn. I mean, it's like, Oh wow. She's not in, she's not into that dude. Something's going on here. <laughs> um, I just like the way they brought in little things like that. And the, and the robot guy is they're talking about 
one of them was talking about, I'm going to be 20 in a couple months. And the robot guy's like, yeah, you know, I'm wondering, you know, if I should grow up too. And they're like, what do you mean? You're a robot. You can. Mm-hmm. And he brings up, well, yeah, I, I can upgrade, my, upgrade myself to an adult. It's like, wow, cool. That's a neat little original twist. At least I feel like it's original to this kind of character. Mm-hmm. Man, I did also didn't really sort of pick up on the <clears throat> relationship dynamic of the bugle boy and the the, the girl, like uh, these this team of probably that were paired like bat you know, Robin and Batgirl, if they were paired up when they were young and then one of them develops a romantic relationship with the other, but the other ones doesn't feel it. And so like, what do you do with that? Like yeah, all of but, this. But, is I, this- but I don't think it's so much that she, I think they're in love. It's just, she wants to do something different than continue being a. And I guess that's my point of just like, it's, it explores an idea like yeah. Astro city consistently explores an idea mm-hmm. that has been suggested by mainstream continuity of comic books but never then actually explored so he's like well okay let's do that over there like what if these two did have a relationship or didn't have a relationship but what how do you as an adult try to have your life after this or through this if this is Mm -hmm. the case so yeah i'm not a big fan of americana and that like 50s 60s wholesome Mm -hmm. nostalgia and that's probably been the thing that's kind of kept me from picking up astro city in the past because it kind of seems like it's going to have that vibe and i especially don't dig on teen stories but this is everything that i would like in that kind of thing without the uh the heavy-handed stuff that i don't usually enjoy about those kind of stories didn't i think you would like it because it 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 doesn't it isn't feel like uh, yeah I, I think that like if you were listening and have not explored astro city because of any thought that you've had about like maybe what it might be i get it i was there it does feel like it's di- delving into americana but it's actually more like i think exploring unexplored avenues of what mainstream comic booking like th- mainstream comic booking has blazed a trail but at every point it opens up the possibility of a different path off of that trail and doesn't take it i think astro city is what explores those paths it's sort of like okay these are people this is time but it does sort of fall into that like 70s 80s vibe but um i i I love it yeah it it digs below that facade of americana a lot i think uh I don't know which volume it was, volume two or three, The Tarnished Angel, which was a very uh, kind of film noir, oh, rough and tumble, old superhero guy, vulnerable guy that was past his prime and dealing with, it was it was like you'd expect, you know, uh, Bogart or, or or old Robert Mitchum to be playing the character. <laughs> and, it, and it was just, it was very, it was much deeper than you would have, you would have thought. Yeah, well, I, I, like- I think you'd dig it. Oh, I'm, I definitely want to get into yeah. it. And yeah, I just felt like this this one specifically, like it seems like that that 50s, 60s teen Americana either mm-hmm. goes in goes with the glossy, picturesque concept or it goes super deep into the like, it's not what it seems. It's not the glossy picture. And this mm-hmm. seemed to thread the needle of actually just being a relatable, real feeling interaction yeah. among these characters. Yeah, I, I always get the feeling that it's more Kurt Busick trying to have a conversation with the history of comics than it is trying to do a thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's just sort of like, I love comics. I've been reading my whole life and I've been writing them my entire professional life. And this is me exploring some of the residual stuff from that. So I gave it an 8.5. I liked it very, very much. And I think that if you have not ever explored Astro City, it's amazing. And we just got the uh, 
reprinted a new binding of like the first two paperbacks. The first two paperbacks are incredible. A dream of flying and the confessor story arc are incredible. So that's at our store, very affordable uh, paperback. Wonderful. I encourage everyone to check it out. So uh, this one, 8.5 for me. And I love that they're called, they're calling their uh, compendiums. They're calling them Metro books. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave this issue, I gave it an 8.8, which I don't know why I didn't just go nine. I'll go nine. <laughs> yeah i wonder what that guy was doing what that roman i don't know jango sometimes does 8.75s and sometimes yeah. i see that and i'm like oh i want to do a weird number two it doesn't mean anything <laughs> to me because i don't understand numbers the way jango does i don't understand numbers <laughs> period so what are numbers <laughs> yeah they're shit <shaped>. ah. <laughs> uh and then colette what was your score for that um i'm gonna give it an eight and a half also yeah cool colette I'm so glad that you joined us this week for this thing that we're doing. It's called Comics Place Presents Hanging Out with Comics. Ooh. CPP. Uh, I didn't add something to my buckshot. Oh, shit. I, I thought maybe that we were yeah, going to yeah, talk sorry. about we, it. We were. We were. We were. Oh, it's okay. I forgot because don't... I, ha- I don't ever have this one. Newburn number Cockburn 5. Newburn number 5 by Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips. The featured with... writer of Batman. Uh, where, uh, where am I? Oh yeah, that's it. They did the colors too. Um, <laughs> fuck, this book is good. It's so good. Yeah, it is. It it's is. just so solidly good. And the backup story is really good. <laughs> I only read oh. issue number one. God, I love this. I'm sorry, Jeff. No, 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 no. Roman and life. Django have both like exceedingly high scores, exceedingly yeah. high scores. No, I, just I read so water. You you're not getting to have it in your life. Like I know yeah. that you it's know, all right. I have a bliss. Elden ring boner that I know. Yeah. Else can have, so. <laughs> um, but no, I, uh, their most recent issue was, was a, I think they both gave it like a 9.5 or a 10. So I, I, I was like, I'm going to read Stillwater and be that guy that reads all of Chip Zdarsky stuff. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and then i was like newburn i don't know i don't know man i'll read number one and i just I, also you know me you know yep. me no it's you know it's me. all good buddy you read a lot it's okay. well no i mean like you know me like <laughs> i'm like that person that's not in the noir crime yes, circle that yeah. you and Django and roman are all in so and that's a-okay yeah but shout that from the rooftops oh my god you, newburn cockburn five so new burn, burn. This one friction pre-pubescent, pre-pubescent friction burns. Yeah. Well, this is hey mom, no, it's cool. This time. I'm watching movies on the couch oh. with my girlfriend. Oh, wait, no, I'm getting friction burns on my penis. <laughs> I'm dry humping. Sorry. Sorry, my mom listens to this. Never mind. Sorry. I was just I was literally watching movies with her downstairs. <laughs> uh on that note, um Newburn goes to prison this time. And uh, clearly, you know, I think we're supposed to think that he's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe finally got sent to to jail or something. But no, this is yet another fantastic, quick, interesting little story of him solving a case by uh, being brilliant and being a badass. And I don't even know what to say about it other than it's just so fucking good. It, it was so good because, yeah you think oh shit he's what's he gonna do he's he's in prison fuck everything's screwed it's like oh no twist <laughs> well and he's still he's fucked but he's also completely in control of yeah. every moment throughout yeah. the whole thing yeah I, I, and, yeah I love that yeah and he's he's brilliant and he's in control and he's self-assured but he's not a cocky asshole like mm. almost anybody else would inevitably write him to be yeah 
even unintentionally. He's just doing his thing. Self-assured, just good at it. And damn, it's good. And then the backup story too, just this like little dark story about a girl working at an amusement park whose best friend was murdered and fucked up little exchanges with cop and other stuff. Just so simple and so well done and so fascinating. I love it. You know, I love a book when I can't actually describe what it was or what was good about it. I just keep telling you. How I, I, it was. I, 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 do you guys, do you guys get upset that Chip, Chip, do you guys get upset that Chip is just so good at writing everything? He's so good at everything. Like, can we talk about that? Can we all no. just get over being petty or like what? I don't know. Or can you help me get over being petty? Roman, what'd you have? Well, I would disagree. I, I forget there's. He's not good at writing everything. I've read, God, even recently I read something by Zadarsky. I was like, meh, that wasn't Is very good. Is it Stillwater? Because I gave up on that after one issue. No, I only, I read two issues of, or three issues of Stillwater, but then I just fell off. And I not- just, I feel like if you're writing multiple things very well, I'll forgive your poor output. But like between him with Daredevil, with his Batman stuff, like Fantastic Four, Life Story, mm-hmm. like the, the, gay fantasy book white trees white trees like yeah yeah like he just he writes some things so fucking well that like like yeah he does do some things that are misses like i don't i don't want to read still water but i was still water but i don't hold that against him at all because he's still writing some of the best shit that there is Mm -hmm. um well and how is someone and then his art is great fucking good at comedic art yeah be so good at subtle dark and I think that that's like the, the line I have a hard time is just like, God damn it. You're funny and hilarious and smart there. And then great emotional depth character work guy. I guess that's the problem I have. So he does have some stuff that's lukewarm, but like, man, it's hard to just willfully like somebody that's better at every aspect of living life than you. <laughs> yeah. And he uses a dildo shaped case as his pencil case at cons. And that's, that's just, it's just good. It's funny though he looked at me like i was insane when i asked for a jackalope when i uh, get went to get a quick commission from him that's weird considering you drew a picture he drew a picture of Django with a penis on his head for you for erica okay yeah drew sally from Django or roman from, hmm, yeah sorry go on roman tell us things what you know what i forgot to mention it during the hulk uh jim rug thing this issue contains as far as i know the first appearance of uh the fabulous furry freak brothers in a Marvel I comic. I saw oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, and Fat <laughs> Fetty's cat is sitting on the Hulk's lap. Yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> Again, I loved how that book did incorporate media at the time into the book, right? Like, like yeah. he got his own TV show and shit. Yeah. Like they incorporated in there. I, I, I liked that. I think that yeah. was... Again, I think that Jim Rugg, while maybe not being the most exciting cartoonist of that crew to look at, I think he has the finest brain for uh, branding and incorporating into the modern market, which I do think Ed Piscor is quite bad at. Yeah, yeah, Love you, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that panel of the whole chilling with the Fabulous Rock Creek Brothers, that's totally in Gilbert Sheridan's, I think, was their creator. Art style. I always come back. <laughs> it all comes up to Gilbert for me. Hey, if you want to... Send us Cockburn scores. You can do that with Colette and Roman right now. Oh, oh, right. Um, go ahead, Colette. 9.5. Oh, nice, nice. Um, 
I, yeah, I gave it a nine. Nice. Cockburn, once again, one of the highest rated books on this podcast. Um, but if you want to email us with an uh, email that's not pertaining to Cockburn scores, you can do that at jeff at thecomicsplace.com. I love to get them and I love to read them on the podcast. I've also really enjoyed learning the right time to do it. I think I'm getting better. I do not think I'm great yet. So please, if you want to help Jeff get better at a skill, send emails to us. We also closed the books on the sweepstakes the sweepstakes that we were having of sending an email in and getting a free comic all the entries and times the number of their emails got one or multiple or or at least entered they haven't gotten them yet get off my back i haven't done it yet okay we're gonna do it uh but that's not the point the point is that right now you entered and you got it and you're gonna be happy that you did and i want you to be uh happy to write future ones in the future and please tell your friends if you have a friend that likes comics or goes to college uh please have them listen to our podcast we don't even care if they like comics we just want college kids listening so i've decided that our sort of like new moby dick is college kids so if you know a college (laughs) kid please by all means tell them to listen to our podcast it's uh the comics place presents hanging out with comics cpp hey hey, college kids come here we'll give you beer No, we won't. We won't. We won't. I will. Roman will. That's why you're a criminal. Sorry. We got to get off. The, we got a Roman. Smooth criminal. Colette, thanks for hanging out with me. Thank God Django's not here or else he wouldn't let us finally be free. He would say like, hey, this time we're doing it. It's all Aussies. It's all Aussies this week. It's 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 all. No, don't Aussies. give him an idea for next no. week. No. Hi. This week, it's all me and kangaroos and boomerangs. Oh, you like boomerangs? I'm Jenga boring, and I like boomerangs and koalas. Do you like a koala? Me too. Um, and on that note, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I am Jeff. As always, you can listen to this podcast and like and review it. Isn't it, I want to have an old man conversation about like, do the kids say smash? They say smash the like button, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, but we'll see you all next week for episode 265. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. And in the meantime, listen to the, the dulcet, sultry tones of my two cohorts. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, Colette. Boy, oh, Colette. What the blowy theme song? That was really good, dude. I had never tried it before just doing this, and you did another good one, too. Oh, I don't. I was making a voice. I don't know if it was. It was fucking so. good. Let's, oh, let's good. What, oh, good. Hey, let's see what Roman does. Hey, I'm Roman. Uh, Catch you later. I was worried. That's Roman's cool guy voice when he says things like "catch you later."